Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello all, welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, here with you to record another episode, and this one is going to be for our Pride Month, as you've been hearing a bunch of our other videos uh, and podcasts about that. Now, as always, we start with the disclaimer that this podcast is for educational educational and entertainment purposes as well. And I also want to give you the disclaimer that the subject matter we'll be talking about today includes subjects of sexual violence physical violence, as well as emotional violence and abuse. So if that's not what you're looking for to listen to, completely understand, stop the recording now. We'll have something more fun for you next week. But otherwise, if you're open to learning and beginning to help and support and recognize this, please keep listening. So today's uh, podcast is one that, because of the work I do as a therapist, means I'm also exposed to a subject matter that affects a lot of relationships. And our guest today was also works at Rouse uh, Relationship Therapy with Dr. David, sorry, with David Kalili, also a licensed marriage family therapist. And if you've heard on some of our other podcasts, we mentioned and touched briefly on this subject, but David suggested I talk with one of their people here, there, who is much more focused on this subject. And I'm happy to have it because I think it is a subject matter we don't talk too much about and is also part of, I think, greater issues we face with being recognized that our lives are just like everybody else's. So for today's recording, I want to introduce Marjorie Velasquez. Marjorie, uses she, they, is a registered associate marriage and family therapist working at Rouse Relational Wellness in San Francisco, California, previously a volunteer as a certified rape crisis counselor through San Francisco's Women Against Rape. She specializes in working with individuals through gender and sexuality issues, those healing from trauma and sexual assault, and IPV, which is intimate intimate partner violence, focus, queer and trans issues, and those wanting to process poly and kink. Marjorie, welcome to Untying Knots. Thank you so much. So as I start with all people is uh how did you get here what's what brought you into all of this well um so as as you mentioned um i did volunteer with san francisco women against rape um a few different times uh in my 20s and 30s and i was drawn into that work because uh, i myself am a survivor of um, sexual assault and intimate partner violence Um, And actually, it was doing that volunteer work that brought me into um, therapy as a career. Um, Mm. I was a teacher, actually, uh, an elementary and middle school teacher for 10 years um, Mm -hmm. and and doing the volunteering sort of on the side Um, and got to a place where I was I, I just was not feeling as rewarded as I had previously as a teacher and I really thought about my work um, doing mm-hmm. peer counseling and medical advocacy um, mm-hmm. at San Francisco Women Against Rape. And that really brought me into deciding to go um, and get my uh, uh, MFT um, mm-hmm. master's. Very nice. 
So the objective of a guest, folks, we're going to be talking about intimate person partner violence here today. And this is a subject that we've touched on briefly in some of our other podcasts, but specifically here, and especially during this month of Pride, where there's also a lot of functions, a lot of events, and chance for people to be out, but also for people to be in contact with others and begin to be able to recognize and support those that are going through this situation. And as I said earlier, one of those things about that sort of gets into the standpoint of our relationships is relationships as a human endeavor, not merely as uh, something that is particularly race or culturally tied, includes the issue of the boundaries of power Mm -hmm. and how it gets abused. So let's start with the, for those who aren't familiar with it, or more familiar with the idea of domestic violence, what is the difference between domestic violence and intimate partner violence? Well, actually, um, domestic violence is sort of an older um, term for intimate partner violence. They they can be used interchangeably, um, but intimate partner violence is just more uh, inclusive of the kinds mm-hmm. of violence and abuse um, and control that can happen in relationships, not just domestic relationships, you know, people that live together, but recognition of the fact that these these kinds of uh, things can happen, you know, in relationships prior to living together. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's also this um, idea around domestic violence. There's this image, this sort of, you know, traditionally, you know, uh, old school image of domestic violence being, you know, like between a man and a woman who are living together, who are married. Mm. um, And generally speaking, the woman is the victim. Um, And we know now that that's just not the case, that uh, it really doesn't matter what your relationship structure is. It doesn't matter what gender your partner is. You know, there can be violence in either direction. And so that's why I prefer to use intimate partner violence, even though it is sort of like a more newer term because it is more inclusive of the different kinds of relationship structures and you know the fact that somebody of any gender can be a perpetrator or a victim right right because i know i've when i've worked with some men who have been referred to me for uh domestic violence and so forth and in many cases these men have actually been the victims as opposed to the perpetrators and they are so wrapped in the idea that they've got to be proof that they're struggling with us type of shame that they are in this situation and that they're being accused equally to that standpoint that they, they need someone to believe them. Mm-hmm. And I've always often framed it as the standpoint, if you look at uh, from a same sex relationship standpoint, yeah, there's a man who's a perpetrator, but that also means that there's a man who's the victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a woman who is the victim. That means there's a woman who is the perpetrator. Right. And how much that just so shifts that narrative about the idea that it is always men are the perpetrators and women are always the victims. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Add to that, then we, what the other thing I think we get into is what you mentioned with the bringing up the newer name for it is the aspect of those who deny the idea that beyond that traditional heterosexual man, female, uh, male, female relationship, that there's a relationship that there can be some sort of domestic existence that people can have. Mm -hmm. So denying that also denies the idea of intimate partner violence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. So let's go from here into talking about how do people begin to recognize, especially in a same gender or non-binary relationship or even in the poly relationship? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Well, I mean, the the good news is that there has been, you know, a lot of studies on this topic on what it means to actually um, be in a relationship where there is intimate partner violence. And I also want to name the fact that um, a lot of people get stuck uh, on the fact that people be- uh, often believe that perpetrators are doing so in a malicious way. Mm-hmm. Uh, which of course absolutely can't happen. Somebody can be purposefully trying, you know, trying to um, bring down their partner or make their partner small, um, or you know, of course, doing uh, violence onto someone with the purpose of hurting them. But there are also um, what I think of as more um, like toxic relationships mm-hmm. where. Uh, people are just kind of acting out their patterns that maybe they saw as children or, you know, there's some sort of internal um, emotional irregulation happening and they Mm -hmm. have outbursts. Um, But the important thing to note is that the effect is still the same. Mm -hmm. And so even if your partner doesn't mean to be abusive, um, the effect is still the same and the effect is still for the person who is receiving the abuse to feel small and to feel trapped and uh, honestly be really feel really um, uh, confused because this is someone that they love someone that they've you know wanted to be with and they're you know on the receiving end of some of these activities so I just wanted to to name that because that's something that I have seen in my practice that I have clients who had no idea that what they were in was a, uh, an abusive or d- intimate partner violence um, structure. So is there a part of that unawareness because of the, and I'm certain there's multiple reasons for it, uh, but because of the aspect of lack of, let's say, media portrayal, lack of the idea that these things can exist outside of, quote unquote, again, the heterosexual idea of a relationship. What did you notice when those people who were surprised at the idea that they were in this in this situation? Well, I think um, part of it is certainly just not understanding the entirety of um, the different ways that the uh, intimate partner violence can show up. A lot of people just think of sort of one sliver of it, which is the physical thing, the physical part, Mm -hmm. right? Because you can't, of course, be, you know, physically abused. And that's, you know, pushing, shoving, being held down, kicking, you know, all of that sort of stuff, you know, being slammed up against a wall. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, people recognize that as abuse, but they don't necessarily recognize some of the other things as abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for example, if you have a, uh, if you have a partner who, um, Anytime that you have a fight or anytime that you try to leave says that they're going to commit suicide or hurt themselves. That's also a form of intimate partner violence. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't recognize that. Um, And that comes more in the emotional violence. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And the emotional violence, of course, can be can be that that I just uh, uh, that I just spoke about. But there's also, you know, like yelling, name calling. Um, it can also uh, racism, you know, uh, mm-hmm. within a relationship that that's also part of the emotional abuse. 
um, you know, uh, something that's been sort of zeitgeisty for the last few years is the is the concept of gaslighting. That is also emotional abuse. Um, making you feel worthless or crazy or, you know, telling you that you're you're stupid or embarrassing you in front of other people. You know, mm-hmm. that's that is also a part of intimate partner violence. And it's some it's a it's a part of it that people might recognize if it's happening outside of the home, but they might not mm-hmm. see it. It might be invisible. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh. Mm-hmm. And so what, because I think there's also an interesting distinction too, as you've brought this up, where does the line get drawn between what is actual this intimate partner violence and then what is kink and BDSM? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. for some people, those things look one and the same thing. Um, and they can. And of course, um, you know, as you mentioned, there are certain people who have the kink of wanting to be shamed, of wanting mm-hmm. to be cuckolded, of wanted, you know, to be told that they're they're bad or engaging in impact play, which for people who aren't in the BDSM or kink world, that can look like wanting to harm your partner. Um and I mean, even media such as, you know, Fifty Shades, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, unfortunately also uh, put forward that point of view that, you know, that someone who's engaging in BDSM or kink might be, you know, just trying to work through their own um, anger issues and sort of taking it out on someone else. But that's not, Mm -hmm. that's not actually what that world is like or is supposed to be. Now, is there intimate partner violence um, within uh, relationships that have a BDSM, like dom sub um relationship or you know engage in kink absolutely absolutely it still exists there because it exists mm-hmm. everywhere unfortunately right. um it's, but yeah but, but it's sadly a part of being human which we yes. don't like to think about right and it's easier to categorize it in this lovely little little corner of the section and not think about it elsewhere right exactly exactly but but for those people in the kink world the you know the thought uh of sorry the the most important thing is consent right mm-hmm. it's all about consent it's all about communication um a, a lot of people you know th- there's a concept of having a scene mm-hmm. and, and that is that is about you know like we're in, we're about to sort of leave this regular life and we're going to step into sort of a a land of make-believe where we can do the things that we've agreed that we want to do with each other Mm -hmm. and whether that's you know impact play or there's so many things i mean we could do a whole podcast on all of that but so i'm not going to get into it right Um, but i think you but you also hit something very key thing there is an agreement yes for that Mm-hmm. So there also becomes one of those lines where we can start seeing the distinction between BDSM play and intimate partner violence is when did you guys have a discussion about this behavior being okay? Mm-hmm. When yeah. did you actually have that conversation that it's okay for you to throw me against the wall when you're upset? Right. When did you get to have a conversation about being okay to punch me in the face when the taxes aren't done or mm-hmm. that? some part of dinner got burned or that you're just having a fucked up bad day and you don't want to take actually deal with it. You're taking it out on me physically, emotionally, and sexually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The absence of that is one of the biggest signs. This is not kink and BDSM. Right. Right. Exactly. 
And similar, I mean, and of course, in in a scene, things can happen. Boundaries can get crossed accidentally. Mm -hmm. But the important thing is that afterwards, there is what's known as aftercare. And mm -hmm. so there is, you know, like, you know, there are safe words, people stop, you know, there's, there's care taken, mm -hmm. there's repair happening, you know, it's, it, you know, like mis mistakes and accidents do happen, of course. Um, but there is, again, in the structure, um, something to be done about it, which is the mm -hmm. aftercare part and making sure that everybody feels, feels good and taken care of. Mm hmm so let's then move into the aspect of what do we, what what would be helpful for people to know from those and from the side one of those who have perpetrated this and then also from the side of what's useful for those who have been the victims of this mm -hmm, for sure um so i just want to speak um, so for those, actually for both people, for those who mm -hmm. are uh, perpetrators and for those who are victims, I think it's important um, to just name a few other ways that are considered uh, intimate partner violence that we haven't touched on yet. Mm -hmm. um, and some of them are things that people will recognize and some of them are like, no, I had no idea that that was uh, power, uh, power and control in the relationship that is uh, linked to intimate partner violence please um, do because so. because we've all, we've already talked about physical abuse and emotional abuse <clears throat> but it, those are again just two parts of like many different ways that uh intimate partner violence could show up there's also isolation where uh the perpetrator is isolating their partner right us versus the world you know like your family doesn't like me don't talk to them i don't like your friends don't talk to them right so systematically mm -hmm. removing somebody from their support system um there's also um, the economic abuse mm -hmm. so financial. if right financial abuse exactly you know ha lording your um economic status over your partner uh, making them give you money, um, taking money away from you, <clears throat> um, you know, making your partner buy you things. There's all sorts of stuff. <clears throat> There's also using social status. So believing that as a perpetrator, believing that you're entitled to attain certain things based solely on your gender from your partner or your class from your partner. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, making your partner make you food, deciding what activities you will do and not letting your partner like have any say in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, there's sexual coercion. So, you know, and from the uh, victim's point of view, that would be having your, you know, sexual past insulted, being called, you know, bad sexual names, having bad things said about you and your body. Um, so that's another one. There's also coercion and threats. Um, so making or forcing your partner to do something against their will. Uh, and this is the this is where you know threatening to commit suicide or hurt yourself comes in as mm -hmm. well. Um, and then there's intimidation. Mm -hmm. So just kind of um, having the threat of violence, even if violence never actually happens, um, is also a part of intimate partner violence. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So these are all the things to be looking for 
when helping and looking at your friends and your family members going through this, but these are also things to be aware of as a relationship is developing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because nobody ever starts a relationship with someone who is abusive right at the beginning. That's not Mm -hmm. how, you know, somebody shows up as their best self Mm -hmm. and it happens generally really slowly Mm -hmm. um, until, until the um the the person who's being victimized um you know maybe doesn't have that support system or has been you know their partner has been chipping away at their sense of self so much mm-hmm. that they just um they feel like they deserve it like they mm-hmm. can't do better um and they can't you know they can't uh see their way out of it really mm-hmm. And that's the one that takes time. It's rare that you're going to have some bad behavior shift right after, say, the honeymoon period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even then, once the honeymoon period's over with, it's going to be a more gradual. Absolutely. And it, it's also tech, uh, it's also often cyclical, too, right? Mm-hmm. There's the there's the um the cycle of violence, um, which <clears throat> doesn't look the same for everyone. There's sort of mm-hmm. a um there's the honeymoon period where everything's really good. And then it just starts to feel really tense. You know, the, the sensation of walking on eggshells. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, um, and then there's sort of the, the event or the time period where, uh, where the abuse is happening. And that can look like physical, you know, all of the different ways that we mm-hmm. discussed um, <clears throat> until it kind of gets to a point where, where there's some sort of, mm, explosion whether it's you know like a fight or a conflict or you know like something along those lines so maybe someone says that they're going to leave and then mm-hmm. it becomes a whole thing um and then after that the honeymoon period kind of starts again because that partner is trying to make up for the way that they showed up right you know mm-hmm. um historically that would be you know showing up with flowers but it doesn't have to be you know even that it can just be Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> promising, you know, all, all that things are going to be good and, you know, building their partner back up with, you know, praise mm-hmm. and love and affection and kind of mm-hmm. just like love bombing them um, right. until they feel really great. And then the cycle sort of starts again. And it's really hard on your nervous system um, as somebody who is uh, existing in an intimate partner violence relationship to have these really high highs and these really low lows. Um, and, and the other, and the other thing about that is that if you're in a relationship like that for a while, um, your body actually gets used to it. And then once Mm -hmm. you leave that relationship and you get into maybe another relationship that isn't like that, it can feel, um, you know, not as stimulating, not as interesting, because their your your nervous system is used to the roller coaster, and the calm feels wrong. Which is a very interesting part to the standpoint of somebody wondering why they keep finding themselves in relationship this of this nature is that aspect of what you just listed. And I know my personal rule, and I tell any clients is that especially if they're dealing with a breakup, is okay. How long were you with this partner? let's say three years, Mm -hmm. the next year and a half at least needs to be all about you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. That however, that time just taking care of you 
and healing you so that you could be in a, another relationship, but not repeat the same thing again. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I just cringe with that classic idea of, oh, the best way to get over somebody is get under somebody else. And it's just like, oh no, that's bad. I mean, you know, it, it's, it, it's, uh, it really depends upon the person, you know, True. Um, and, and what it is that they're, that they experience and, you know, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. getting under someone else's is, is, is what they need because their sexual relationship with their previous partner just wasn't fulfilling in some way. And right. it's like, great, right. you know, go, go get your, go get it, go get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not trying to shame any of that. Yeah. What yeah. I, but I think what I really want to make clear is mm-hmm. you need to heal. Yes. Yes. You need to heal before you are really putting yourself in that place of being vulnerable again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, going out and having uh, basically for what some would call your hoe time or slut time, yeah, go have that. But that does not mean you're being emotionally vulnerable with these people. Mm-hmm. 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 It'll help you understand that you want to be more of a emotionally available, but that does not mean you are immediately seeking them out for a relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, just to speak like pointedly a little bit about um, queer relationships and, you know, mm-hmm. I use um, I use queer as, as an umbrella term, you know, for, mm-hmm. you know, all identities and, and um, that go against sort of normative beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <clears throat> the thing is that in. Uh, intimate partner violence is a widespread issue, you know, no matter what, um, you know, uh, according to the World Health Organization, mm-hmm. one in three women and one in four men have experienced either physical or sexual violence from an intimate partner um, in their in their lives, in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in addition to that, the CDC um, every few years does a report um on on intimate partner violence and violence in relationships um and they uh, they they do one that is really heteronormative and it comes out mm-hmm. uh, pretty uh regularly um the one that is pointedly about um queer identities and how mm-hmm. violence shows up unfortunately takes a little longer uh so the numbers that that the CDC has on that are from 2010 which is mm-hmm. which feels like a whole different world Mm -hmm. um but um what's interesting there is that uh so it was uh surveys where people self-reported um you know what it was that their sexual orientation was um or their gender identity um and as far as sexual orientation um nearly one in three lesbian women one in two bisexual women and one in four heterosexual women has experienced at least one form of severe physical or uh, severe physical uh violence from an intimate partner in their lifetime mm-hmm. yeah it's not that one in a hundred one in a thousand that probably is what goes through people's minds mm-hmm. little the idea that i remember hearing this growing up is like some saying that oh you relationships with men or relationship with women from another are much easier than trying to have the relationship with somebody who's the opposite sex. And it's like, no, these are all just the same. Mm-hmm. We are, the aspect of relationship, Matt, doesn't matter who the sexual or general identity of the person is. This aspect is 
the interrelationship and this power change. Mm-hmm. And these numbers that you just shared so show how much more prevalent it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, there's so many barriers um, to seeking help, right? Somebody who mm. um, has been a victim of intimate partner violence um, often face barriers to seeking help, right? There's fear of retaliation. There's financial dependent on the perpetrator. There's the emotional attachment, right? Mm-hmm. You're with that person because you love them. It's hard to leave. Um, or there could be cultural, right? The intersectionality. There could be some some cultural reasons that you don't want to leave, right? In some mm-hmm. cultures, it's harder to right. move away from a relationship. Um and also, one of the unique challenges um, in queer relationships, um, of course, adds that additional layer of fear around trying to ask for help because, you know, the systems that exist, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're they're hostile generally mm-hmm. towards um, towards uh, queer people. And of course, our 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 you know, systemically racist on top mm-hmm. of that. And so it can make it hard to find, um, you know, find support. And while there are, according to um, the National Network to End Domestic Violence, there's around 2,000 domestic violence shelters in the States, um, only a small fraction have programs that are designed specifically um, for um uh, lesbian survivors of intimate partner violence and the number of services available to gay and bisexual men is even more limited Mm -hmm. let alone also just men in general too yeah that's true Mm -hmm. so yeah as that as we move into the way from essentially women we move toward towards the other possibilities those numbers get smaller Mm -hmm. yeah of course and and let alone people who identify as non-binary or trans Mm -hmm. Like those spaces aren't aren't built for that. A lot of times, they're you know shelters are often um, segregated by um, by like sex or gender, and mm-hmm. it can be hard for for people to feel safe in those spaces if you don't identify in those ways if you're not mm-hmm. cisgender. So I think that's a good place for us to take a break here and let that let all of these things sink in for everybody. So stay tuned for our second half. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here with Marjorie Velasquez, associate marriage and family therapist here on Untying Knots, Minds and Souls and Tethers. So we'll be back soon, folks. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you.
You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, here with Marjorie Vasquez, uh, associate marriage and family therapist. And we have been talking in our first half about intimate partner violence and being able to uh, understand what it is as opposed to the classic ideas around domestic violence. So in our second half, we're going to talk a bit more on this subject, and we're going to cover such subjects as both uh, boundaries and also what are you looking for in relationships. Now, I think I inverted those, so let's start with the relationship side of this first so that then you have an idea about what boundaries you're setting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, of course, it can be difficult if you've experienced intimate partner violence and it it can be hard to know what to look for in a relationship or what are the green flags, Mm -hmm. um, as people say these days. Um, or even if you're not, even if you're somebody who hasn't been um, in an intimate partner violence um, uh, relationship, it can be useful to just kind of have some ideas of what mm-hmm. what a good, um, solid, uh, supportive relationship um, can look like or should mm-hmm. look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the first one, the first thing to to have in that relationship is respect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you should you should be listening to your partner non-judgmentally. You should be emotionally affirming and understanding and valuing their opinions, and you should get that back. Um, there should also be trust and support, right? Supporting each other's goals in life, respecting the right to everybody to have their own feelings and friends and activities and opinions, right? Mm-hmm. You're two complete human beings, or if you're in a polycule or in a poly relationship, you're multiple complete human beings, right? Um, and so you want to trust and support everybody that you're in a relationship with. Um, there should be honesty and accountability. So accepting responsibility for yourself, acknowledging past use of violence if there if it exists, mm-hmm. um, and admitting when you're wrong and communicating open openly and truthfully. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have children, um, being a responsible parent is actually like a really big important part of being in a relationship, right? Sharing parental responsibilities, being a positive nonviolent role model for children, because in relationships where there are children and there is intimate partner violence, the effect isn't just on the people in the relationship, it's also on the children. And that can have mm-hmm. long lasting effects as well. Um, there should be, did you want to ask something? Well, I think that's also one of those things to also consider too, as we're talking about with families is the idea that yeah, the it might the situation might purely be between the two parents, but yeah, the kids are also whether again this is in a same gender relationship or not, the kids are also victims too because they're having to watch, mm-hmm. they're having to hear, mm-hmm. they're having to experience this, and they don't have the same power structure to necessarily get the help and the support. Or to say no, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. Right? Yeah, they don't have they don't have the same fully developed sense of self 
to be able to stand up for themselves and to speak for themselves in, in the way that we we do as adults. Which also becomes an element too in the nature of, and obviously this is entirely other conversation, dealing with parental estrangement later on in life. Oh yeah. As well, because again, these things, just because it happened in childhood, doesn't mean it's not going to be with them for the rest of their lives Absolutely. and can affect the relationship they will eventually have with said parent as well mm-hmm. or parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or their ability to, to, to have um, safe and good relationships themselves as they're older. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is not a, shall we say, victimless crime or only a focused crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so some of the other things um, to look for in relationship is uh, shared responsibility, um, economic partnership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so and that, of course, doesn't mean that things have to be 50 50. In fact, you know, it's about equity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, negotiation and fairness. So, you know, seeking mutually satisfying resolutions to conflict and being accepting mm-hmm. to changes and being willing to compromise. And compromise should never be um, a situation where what where, where they've walked away feeling like someone's won and someone's lost, right? Mm-hmm. It should be something that th- that people work together through. Uh, mutual and then, gain, mutual loss. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, and then, of course... You know, just uh, existing in the space with that, with non-threatening behavior, right? So talking and acting so that your partner feels safe and comfortable expressing themselves and doing things, right? Mm-hmm. right? So these are all things that are in that checklist of what you're looking for when you're trying to have a relationship where you can be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's all right. If you're not feeling that with somebody, because I think there's also that social pressure around, oh, you need to be in a relationship or the quality of who you are is determined by who you, who you're dating and all of that. Mm -hmm. And that in and of itself gets into a number of other life issues uh, that can happen growing up. But again, I bring you back to how much of that was also tied to your childhood. Mm -hmm. And there's a very good reason why in our profession, we ask you about your childhood. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I definitely have clients who come in and they're like, I don't want to talk about my family or my upbringing. And I'm like, all right, we'll we'll talk about what's happening right now. And eventually, it, it, you know, it's like, oh, that pattern was set in your childhood, huh? I guess we'll talk about your childhood now. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and talk a bit more about the boundary factors. And mm-hmm. I often, one of the things I often have to teach clients is the idea that most people start off with a soft boundary and a hard boundary, and now they need to develop the middle boundary. Right. And that comes as a surprise for a bunch of people, especially once I can give them an illustration of what that is. Mm-hmm. But let's start with what are boundaries? Yeah. <laughs> what are boundaries? And it's it's interesting because um, you know, people think of a boundary as sort of like a hard line that they have to communicate to someone else about um the way that they're treated or mm-hmm. the way that they are uh, you know interacted with, or sometimes boundaries around the way that someone interacts with their children if they have children. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's like, yes, that's uh, that's a, a big, important part. However, um, it is also useful to do work to within yourself to recognize what your boundaries are. Um, and you don't actually have to communicate those to anybody else. You can just act on them, right? Mm-hmm. If you're in a, a, for example, if you're in a relationship with someone and you have um, a boundary about, you know, not uh, accepting mm-hmm. physical violence, um, mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's something that you can, you don't have to, that's something that you don't have to actually communicate to somebody else. You can just, you know, have mm-hmm. that inside of you. Um, but if you are in a relationship with someone, it is often important to set boundaries um, and to uh, talk about the things that you're e- either things that you've experienced in the past that you won't tolerate anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Or sometimes it's something that just kind of comes up, you know, in life, you know, your partner says something to you and then you sit with that for a second and it doesn't feel good. And so then you go to your partner and you say, oh, that didn't. Actually, that didn't feel good, and I, you know, I'm, I'm setting this boundary that mm-hmm. you know I I don't accept you know that kind of, um, talking or joking or whatever it was that uh, made them feel bad, uh, and then it can be a conversation, mm-hmm. of course, um, and maybe it should be. Why is it that you feel the need to joke joke about me like that? Like, where is that coming from? That doesn't make me feel mm-hmm. respected. Um, or, you know, maybe it's, it's something that feels like it triggered a childhood wound. And it, you know, if you're, if you're with somebody that you are close with and you are vulnerable with, it's, you know, it's often good to communicate that like, oh, that really reminds me of what my dad did when I was younger. Um, and I just am really sensitive to that. So I really need your support in not sort of stroking that, that old Mm -hmm. wound. And then your partner understands it. So this, I think, brings up a very key and distinction too about the use of the word boundaries. How ha- can we can also keep in mind that how we're communicating what these needs are are not also being used as another form of the power, power and control. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. The, the word itself is not the word in its meaning that's being used is not being basically itself abused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Right, exactly, because it's not it, it's not stopping somebody else from from doing the thing because mm-hmm. you're not trying to control the way that they that they are as a human being. It's more when you do this, it makes mm-hmm. me feel this way. So mm-hmm. you know, I you know, I need my you know, I need my uh, sense of self to be respected. like mm-hmm. it's not about the things that you can do. it's just, it's about the way that I feel. Mm-hmm. and what i need and the boundaries on nine times in ten more about you and how you're behaving how you're treating yourself yes as opposed to and i say this because it's just something that i encountered with persons who shall not be named they clearly stated who and what they wanted to do and what aspects of it uh, it was and it, i admit that i at the time i said yes to that but it's just like as i continue to sit with it and continue to watch them and so forth i realize oh they're using this as a way this boundary as a way to justify their bad Mm -hmm. behavior Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but calling it a boundary and that aspect of it's like okay you're you want to do all the things fine guess what my boundary means what you were asking for is no longer acceptable around me so don't be surprised that i'm now cutting you off right Mm -hmm. Because that's me taking care of me. Right. 
Exactly. Yeah. But that's that's actually an important thing to note is that sometimes, you know, the way that one person is mm-hmm. um is is against who you are. And that just mm-hmm. means that the that relationship can't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like because I think there, I think that brings up the thing that I think struggles a lot for people is the realization that yeah, there are some relationships out here that can't work, mm-hmm. as opposed to I think that sort of um, narrative that is going on, and I think you encountered it probably a lot in when you're working as a teacher that everyone can be every relationship can work. Right. Yeah. Like all, I mean, all you need is love, right? Is mm-hmm. the um, and the and the truth is no. Like you can really love someone and, you know, it's a, it's, it's just not a good fit for one reason or another, whether it's Mm. your life goals aren't in alignment or your values aren't in alignment. Those are really important things. And Mm. just loving someone doesn't erase the the need for those things to be in alignment. There's nuance, there's discernment as opposed to it being a black and white aspect of what is the relationship and what, and this whole, everything can be solved with love. And we don't want to say that love isn't something that we need as a component of this. Right. It's a part, but not the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. That's how it also can be used back against you. To create causes harm again, not necessarily maliciously, but in this aspect of it, right? Exactly, yeah. Because people will, people will often make their boundaries softer around mm-hmm. somebody that they love, and then that ends up, you know, putting them in a situation where they are more susceptible to either intimate mm. partner violence or even just sort of a loss mm. of a sense of self because they're mm. giving so much of themselves away to right. be with that partner. It's kind of the difference between blind love and informed love. Mm-hmm. And I like to operate much more and I try to encourage that also with my clients to operate from the informed place as opposed to the blind place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So do you have any other recommendations for where people can get help as they try to figure out and become more informed about love? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, And I mean, more informed about love and more informed about, you know, themselves and working through all of this stuff. Of course, you know, we're both therapists. I'm going to say therapy, but Hmm. (laughs) because that's a really important thing. Um, But there are some really wonderful books out there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that have to do with uh, with relationships and how relationships look. Um, you know, if if you're somebody that's interested in, in poly relationships and in, in attachment, um, there's a book called Poly Secure, which mm-hmm. is really good. Um, and it's really good because it goes through attachment and how relation how you show up in relationships and how that can be stoked by poly Um yeah. And of course there's ethical slut, but, mm-hmm. um, the, the old standby, uh, <laughs> right. Right. Um, but you know, working with a therapist, talking with friends, you know, that's mm-hmm. really just being vulnerable and open and, um, you know, kind of checking experiences with other people is a really important mm-hmm. tool. Um, and you know, if you are somebody in the Bay Area, 
or in California even, um, there are some wonderful ways to find um, support, right? So we at Rouse, of course, specialize mm-hmm. in relational um, wellness <laughs> it's mm-hmm. in the name. Um, and so, you know, that can be individual, that can be couples, it can be polycules, it can be families. Um, but, you know, we also work with people in like sexuality and gender. Um, we also have groups, which um, it, for survivors of intimate partner violence is a really important healing tool. Um, it's something that I saw when I was volunteering at San Francisco Women Against Rape, which still exists and still has resources and is a wonderful mm. resource for people. Um, is that being in a room with other people who have experienced similar things can be really healing because a big part that we talked about was the isolation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, at Rouse, um, you know, I'm recruiting for an intimate partner violence uh, support group at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have men's groups specifically um, for talking through men's issues. Um, and that includes intimate mm-hmm. partner violence experiences. Um, <clears throat> and then there's also, you know, Bay Area Open Minds is a wonderful tool mm-hmm. for finding a therapist that, um, a therapist or a group um, that is, you know, open-minded uh, with, you know, kink, poly, all of those things. And then there's also uh, for uh, queer people, there's Gay Lesta, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh a directory for specifically um, queer uh, supportive therapists. Right. So we'll try to have as many of those resources listed in the show notes as possible. So please make sure you check them out. Uh, obviously, we're going to try and keep our ears out and you probably want to talk to some of the more national ones, depending on like the Trevor Project and so forth, to find Absolutely. support closer to your area if you're outside the Bay in California. So uh, as you mentioned, Rouse, is there any other place people can find you at to uh, check on and get more advice before we close here. From me? Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, really Rouse Relational Wellness is where I is where I work from, though I do personally have uh, an Instagram account. It's Therapy with Marjorie. Feel free mm-hmm. to follow. You can DM me on there. Um, I do technically have a TikTok account as well. It's also Therapy with Marjorie, but I don't post as many videos because it's kind of, I'm a millennial. It's kind of exhausting for me. <laughs> oh, I don't blame you. Hey, running this podcast can be exhausting too. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, I want to thank you for being here and sharing for this pride month uh, and just doing this work as well. Cause I know we don't always skill off and get the thank yous that we, with all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. All right. So check in for our next episode, which because this is Pride Month, we're coming out weekly as opposed to bi-weekly as we normally do. And I hope you have a good pride and be have a wise pride with this new information as you go forward and get your healing. So we'll be back later, folks. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 